We are going to have our second Bible reading, which comes from Psalm 25. That's on page 536 of the Pew Bible. Psalm 25. Verses 1 to 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember me, O Lord, in your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs, instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Morning. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father and God, we pray that you, as we come to your word, that you would speak to us, help us, encourage us, really give us an enthusiasm for what you have done for us in the person of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm uh, 25, I, I must admit, I went away. I decided, well, you know, Judges, the second bit of Judges is uh, would have been good, but it's communion today, it's Lord's Supper today. So I thought, well, why don't we just focus on something? <laughs> focus on the glory of God and the cross of Christ. Psalm 25 is an acrostic psalm. It's a acrostic, does anyone know what acrostic means? You do? I don't have to say. So it begins, you know, A, if this was an English thing, A, B, C, D, each line has a letter of the alphabet as the first one. In, in this case, the Hebrew alphabet, so the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the second letter. That's how the poem works and that's how it's written. All that's lost a little bit in English, but that's how it goes. David is working through some problem in his life with God's help. And this is a lament psalm. Lament is, a, I think I might have said this before, it's a lost skill in the church today. It's interesting how the psalms in particular model lament to us because they are congregational. Big body of people 
reading these psalms together, which is an interesting thing to think of in itself, which we're not going to think about, so stop thinking. But lament enables us to express what's going on in our lives, particularly when we have trouble. It gives us tools to air our troubles in a faith context. It's a great way to pray. If you've got a difficult period or something's happening to you and you're struggling, a lament psalm is a really good model to use to help you to cope with what's going because people of faith still declare their faith in the midst of quite terrible things. And that's what lament has enabled you to do. It's a great skill, and I recommend that you read them and perhaps use them for yourselves. Lament psalms are done by people of faith. That's the context that people use a, psalm, a lament psalm for. If you did not have faith in the goodness and greatness of God, then a lament psalm won't work. You'll just end up being stuck in the grime. But people of faith in, in lament enables them to express their faith in times of great trouble. And that's what's happening for David here. But firstly, the first three verses, he says, I trust. So that's a common thing in a lament psalm. Declare the greatness and glory of God and what you means to you. I, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will be ever put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Hope is built on trust. I trust in you, Lord my God. David trusts in the goodness of God. He declares his greatness and goodness and his overwhelming reliability to always be there. The unchanging God in the sense that what he has promised to yesterday is the same today and will always be. He is that unchanging God. He declares that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. This is his Lord, his unshakable rock. When all things are creaky and shaky, when uncertainty, confusion, disaster seems to want to sweep you away, David says, I stand on you, my rock. I trust in you. For us, it's the foundation of our faith and of our lives, the hope of our past, our present, and the future. All these things are held together solidly in the character of our Creator. Verse 2, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. David's involved in that tricky world of politics, and uh, if you know anything about politics, but particularly uh, courts and kingdoms and whatever you listen to, what was happening in Louis the Eleventh or Seventh or Eighth or whatever those kings of France are, I, know, I always get them confused. There's too many of them, isn't there? They're all Louis something. But you know, you listen to the.
treachery that's happening around in all those courts. David is involved in that world. Enemies plotting, dangerous abounds. In David's case, he says they are seeking his death. David trusts that the Lord will protect him to keep him safe in these treacherous terms. He says, I put my trust in you. For us, if we do have enemies, sickness, troubles, strife, anxiety, calamity, probably at the moment financial hardship, maybe that's your case all the time, whether it's now or whatever, I put my trust in you, says David. It's a confident trust in who God is. And where there is confidence, there is strength. Where there is strength, there is hope. Where there is hope, there is the Lord's grace and mercy. David overflows with hope as he trusts his God. His trust is in a saviour, secondly, a saviour of mercy and love, which is verses 4 to 7. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. David's hope is pretty wonderfully displayed in this passage. It's built on whom God is, his sustainer, his redeemer, his solid character of not remembering your sins, but removing them far from the east is from the west. Remember me according to how you love me, your love for me. For God is good. He loves all he has made. Particularly, he loves his people. And David wants to know his ways. He wants to know the ways of mercy and of love. In the midst of all this turmoil and horribleness, it's a great prayer. I want to know your mercy and love. Teach me, lead me all day long. He's saying, my hope is built on you, our saviour of mercy and love. Luke 21 was probably a very strange reading for you. Did you think? How did you think? How did you find? Did we read Luke 21? Did anyone read it? We did read it. That's good. I asked to be read. I wasn't here, so you never know. You could do anything. When I'm not here, you could do anything, really. But uh, Luke 21 is what we often get called an apocalyptic reading. That's true. It is apocalyptic. What does apocalyptic mean? Uh, if you play board, if you play computer games, it means the end of the world. Or if you watch movies, it means the end of the world. Apocalyptic actually just means revealed. That's what it means to reveal something. So the last book of the Bible is revealing how the world works. It's revealing what's behind this 
The people think they're just doing this, but what is at work in our world? That's what Revelation is about, the revealing of what God is doing. And the problem with apocalyptic passages in the, in the Gospels is that everyone pulls them out and takes them to Revelation, forgetting that they belong in the book of Matthew or the book of Mark or the book Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. So I can never remember what chapter it is in Matthew, but it's Mark 13, Luke 21. Luke 21 speaks to what Matthew is writing. Sorry, Luke is writing. He's writing for the purpose of his book. And you need to understand Luke 21 within the book of Matthew. Uh, sorry, Luke. Okay, I've got Matthew on the brain. Luke, when you read Mark 13, you need to understand what Mark is saying in Mark before you take it out because it has significance for the book. Do you read books? Has anyone ever read a book? I had my, my favourite book was uh, the you know, better little choo-choo train, golden book, but uh, that and the Bible, that's about all I've got. Uh, but when you read a book, when you read a book, you don't think of grabbing that little chapter of what he's talking in the book and thinking about something else, finding an answer. The book is here in front of you. It is the same with Matthew's Gospel, with Luke's Gospel, with Mark's Gospel. They actually write for a purpose and it's contained in here. It might reference other things, sure, but it had a purpose. What does Luke 21 mean? Well, you finally get to it. Jesus is using apocalyptic languages because he's talking about the apocalyptic event that is his own death. His death is the thing that brings in the end. And so he uses end language to reveal what God is doing in his life, death, resurrection, and in this case, ascension. He refers to the Son of Man, verse 27. At that time you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Where do we know from the Old Testament, Son of Man? Daniel 7, you say. That's right. Daniel chapter 7. When you read Daniel chapter 7, you must understand it that it's the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Not this way, but that way. Jesus is saying the Son of Man will go to God in glory. And when you turn to chapter 28, at the end of Luke's, not chapter 28, Luke 24, you'll see Jesus' ascension to glory. The Son of Man returning to the glory. Why? Because Jesus' work on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension is an apocalyptic event that has grabbed us and taken us into the future and into the beginning of the end. 
It is a thing that is revealed what has God been doing. God is there calling people in repentance and faith by his spirit, gathering his people, so when he comes again, he will judge the living and the dead. Jesus, what's about to happen is that important. It's that hope. Jesus is saying, I am the saviour of the world, which the scriptures has talked about and is coming. Why have you been talking about this, Keith? Well, it's because I mentioned Luke 21. We are not caught up by our past. Instead, we have been gifted and brought into the future. We are not stuck in the sins of old or our youth, nor captured by the failures that are present for us now. Instead, the God of mercy and love in this great event that Jesus has come and saved us, has grabbed us and released us into his eternity and into his kingdom. He's released us to serve him in truth and in love. In the coming of Jesus, hope has embraced us from eternity and has taken us to his home. It is our home in him. The goodness of our God forever given to us in the Lord Jesus. And it is this hope that delivers us from darkness into his light. It's this hope that David called upon when he proclaimed God's greatness of mercy and love. We have been given the exact glory in the person of Jesus of his mercy and love. Freed from sin, rescued from death, into the glory of his new life. And lastly, in his loving and faithful way. Chapter verse 8, verse 10 of Psalm 25. Good and upright is the Lord. He instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of the covenant. Our hope is built on our Lord's loving and faithful ways. But you say, Keith, verse 10, Psalm 25, verse 10, sounds like I need to do things, those who keep the demands of his covenant. Again, you are brought to the person of Jesus because that's what he has done for us. He kept the commands. He did that perfectly for us, that we might in him receive his faithfulness, the gift of his righteousness given to us. This God who is acting is loving and faithful to us. That is who he is. It was revealed in the person of Jesus himself, that he might come and live as we could not live. He might die the death we dare not die. And by the power of his grace and mercy, break the law of sin and death for us, releasing us from what held us captive and taken us into newness of life. Jesus has come to keep the covenant for us. We could not. He 
has done. He walked faithfully as Father, reconciling us back to the eternal destiny that God created his world to be in, resting in his eternal love and care. And he did that and gave us his spirit, the spirit of Christ that leads us, transforms us, renews us, changes us, and leads us on. As we draw near to him, he leads us in his loving and faithful ways, in the newness of the spirit, as the spirit enables, and as the spirit transforms us in glory. As we humble ourselves, we, we reap the rewards of all that he has done. He gives us hope where we had none. My failures, and they are many, are not the end. Your failures, and they are many, are not the end. Christ's love and his faithfulness has triumphed in the apocalyptic event of Jesus' love on the cross. The Spirit has been given to us that we might walk in his way. Though we stumble, he will restore us. Our hope is in God's trustworthiness. I trust in you. Our hope is in our God, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, the one of mercy and love who changed all things, changed our world forever, the cosmos in his hands. And our hope is in his loving and faithful ways as we live. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you and thank you that you are the God of eternity that has reached to us in the person of Jesus. We praise you and thank you that uh, you did everything for us. You are the God of trust. We trust in you. Your greatness of character, your love for us, eternal graciousness of goodness, purity and love. You have loved us with an everlasting love and we praise you that you are unchanging and faithful. Gracious God, we give you thanks for our hope in our Saviour Jesus, the one of mercy and love, who came to change all things forever, that all our world would be about his glory and that every knee and every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And we praise you that our hope is in your loving and faithful ways. Lord, lead us in those ways that we might be people who are more and more like Jesus. Help us to be people of grace and mercy with each other and with our world. In the truth of Jesus' name we pray. Amen.